In this edition of Hoopsology, Matt and Justin welcome the co-host of the Hot Hand Theory podcast and contributor to Knicks Film School, Xavier Justin. Xavier breaks down what the Knicks need to do to take the next step in the Eastern Conference, and we break down if New York will make any moves at the tread, day, tread deadline, and we'll discuss Julius Randle, Jalen Brunson, and a lot, lot more. Xavier was a fantastic guest. If you are a New York Knicks fan, this is a show not to miss. He is the co-host of the Hot Hand Theory podcast and contributor to Knicks Film School. We welcome Xavier Justin onto Hoopsology. Welcome, Xavier. Thanks, Justin, for having me. Thanks, Matt, for having me. I'm excited to be here and talk some Knicks. Thanks for coming on to the show. Um, I think I can speak for Matt. The Knicks have always had kind of a soft spot, you know, just in our hearts. It's based on 90s basketball, even though I am a Bulls fan. I mean, I kind of like connected to them, even though they're rivals. So it's kind of a bummer when like the Knicks are not relevant, but certainly they're way more relevant than Chicago Bulls. So it's, it's cool to see. I think they're important to the NBA. So it's good to have your thoughts on how they're doing this season. Um, currently, there are fifth in the West in the Eastern Conference, fifteen and eleven. Um, so, kind of, what are your thoughts so far of just the Knicks this season? I know, you know, in the past, a lot of the fan reaction and a lot of the journalists we've had on our show have kind of been mixed on Julius Randle, uh, but high on Jalen Brunson. Kind of, where do you see kind of the Knicks this season in terms of just their playoff hopes and just kind of any moves you see them doing during the you know right before the trade deadline? Yeah, it's, I mean, there's a lot to say about the Knicks for sure. Um, you know, I cover this team on a daily basis. The Knicks, first off, I will say, are a really talented and deep team. And I think they don't, I'm not sure really how they're received around in NBA circles. And at least in the Knicks community, we all just appreciate their depth because that probably is their biggest strength. I mean, you mentioned their two top dogs, uh, Randall and Brunson, but their top nine, I think, are comparable to any top nine in the NBA. Um, yeah, I think Orlando's pretty deep. Maybe Denver's pretty deep, but most teams are really top heavy. And the Knicks, I think they have the capability to play you to a draw with their starters, with, with Brunson and Randall, and then really blitz you and rush you with their bench. And, you know, they have players like Emmanuel Quickly, who is one of my favorite players. Um, Quentin Grimes, those guys haven't even really played up to their standards yet. So I think the other aspect is, is Josh Hart, another player on the, on the team who I think is unheralded and underrated in some regards, but he's just starting to turn it on. Um, Isaiah Hartenstein, I think, is probably the best backup five in the entire league. I know a lot of teams uh, claim that they have the best backup five in the league. I think that the Knicks really do, and we're getting to start to see that with um, you know, Mitchell Robinson now is going to be out for the next couple months. So that's that. really their strength is their depth to me. Um, at the high end, like you mentioned, uh, Brunson, Randall, those are ridiculously talented scorers, and they're just kind of surrounded by really good defensive players. We saw recently Brunson go off for 50 points on nine of nine shooting from three. So, you know, we can we know what Brunson is capable of. And, and Julius Randall got off to a shaky start, and I think he is – He's not. He doesn't get really the respect in NBA circles, but over the last 10 games, uh, per 36 minutes, he's actually averaging like 27 points on nearly 60% shooting from the field, 37% from three, uh, 10 rebounds, five assists. These are all NBA-level numbers, so, you know, and I think his impact has been consistent with those numbers. So, yeah, I, I think that the Knicks have a lot going for them. I, I, I'm really excited about where they are this season. 
So what is it going to take for them to really make the next step? Because clearly they're you know, removed from the bottom of the Eastern Conference. Um, they're a, you know, certified playoff team. And we're, I think we're beyond, I think a lot of Knicks fans are beyond just celebrating just making the playoffs. Even then naturally the next step is the Eastern Conference finals or the NBA finals. So, you know, it's very, you know, extremely competitive at the top of the conference. What do you see the Knicks doing in order to kind of take that next step? Yeah, I, you know, that that's the thing, right? So they do have some good high-end talent, but they don't have that really high-end talent that, you know, that superstar talent. And I think they're just, until they get that, they're going to be hovering kind of on this fringe. As you mentioned, no Knicks fan is going to be happy if they miss the playoffs or even make the play-in. Like, that would be seen as a real more than a disappointment, almost a debacle at this point. Um, you know, we, we really regard the team very highly with the talent that they have that I kind of mentioned. But, you know, if we look at the top, let's say, seven teams in terms of uh, uh, point differential in, in both conferences, we see Philly, obviously Embiid, Boston, obviously Tatum, Minnesota, Anthony Edwards, OKC, SGA, the Clippers, Kawhi, Denver, Jokic, Milwaukee, Giannis, right? that the Knicks don't have one of those guys. Uh, you know, Brunson, I love Brunson. Brunson is an offensive, absolute offensive weapon, can score in the ISO with the best of them in the league. His defense is an extreme weakness for him, and his impact on the defensive end is, is, is really poor. And his size is a limitation. His offensive load is a limitation. So, you know, there's only going to be so much he's going to do as a defender. And that's always going to be a weakness for the team. So I, until they get one of those guys, I think that they're going to be at the situation where, you know, a second round playoff matchup is going to be great for them. Making an Easter conference final would be the absolute, absolute ceiling, squeezing every single drop out, uh, that they have out of this team. And I'm not sure if they're, if they're really there yet. So as far as what they could do, I mean, they're going to try to make a trade this year. And the two obvious targets for them, I think, are going to be OG and Anobi and Donovan Mitchell. The OG thing, right, like they do want a big wing defender. They do want a big three-point shooter that can slide in and fit perfectly next to Julius Randle. And is also going to be someone who, to provide them with some size at the three. They, they're pretty small at the three. And um, the coach, Thibodeau, doesn't really love to play small guys at the at the wing position. So, you know, they, they do have this a little bit of a log jam at the guard position. So somebody like OG will unleash some of those guys. I think that makes them like a solid Eastern Conference final contender, but it's still not going to take them kind of over the top. Someone like Donovan Mitchell is sort of that 1B star or kind of like 2A star that they've been looking for. Um, you know, uh, many people think that he wants to be in New York. So with everything that is happening with Cleveland, it seems to make sense that they would look to move him sooner than later. But I just think those, even those moves are not really going to thrust them into like real, real contender status, you know, up there with the Bostons and the Milwaukee's. I think Boston's like one of the best built teams of the last several years. Like, I think that's going to be really hard to surmount, but I think that that's a next step that the Knicks could take, acquire someone like an OG Ananobi, acquire someone like a Donovan Mitchell, and then even look to do one more move where they get another high level star if they're not able to get one of those kind of what top 10 players in the entire league so to me that's that's where their next step is unless miraculously one of those guys becomes available which it doesn't seem like they will <laughs> yeah follow up to that what what do you think those pieces are that the Knicks 
would be willing to give up and also that are appealing for the teams on the other side. Like we we've heard already that the Raptors have basically said kind of anyone, but Scotty Barnes is on the table. So OG is potentially gettable. We know that they were also asking quite a bit for him at the trade deadline last season. Um, what do you think the Knicks are, are willing to give up and, and that's appealing to other teams, not, not just the Raptors. Yeah, it's a great question. So the Knicks, have a ton of assets and I think I'm not sure you know in NBA circles how well that's recognized the the Knicks are loaded with assets they they have all of their first round picks um they're gonna have a second first round pick that is protected convey this year in 2024 they have a a couple other protected picks that are gonna roll over to next year um a couple of firsts for next year already uh they have some young talent um the aforementioned Emmanuel quickly they weren't able to come to a contract uh, agreement with him in this offseason so he's going to become a restricted free agent I think he has to be coveted by other teams even if they don't see him as a as a starting lead guard he's a kind of a combo guard that can play both point guard and two guard and can fill both roles extremely well kind of a jack of all trades can really do everything extremely extremely strong off-ball defender um, his impact, you know, people in the advanced analytics world, like myself, who, who look at impact metrics and, and some of that advanced data, love Emmanuel quickly because all of those data points love him. Um, so I think he, he has some value. Quentin Grimes hasn't had a great season this year, but I think that people can see some of his upside when it comes to the shooting, you know, a classic three and D kind of two guard who can play a little bit above his size and may have some creation juice down the line. So I think those two guys, and then, and then RJ Barrett, who RJ Barrett feels like he's been around for like 10 years. He's 23 years old. Um, right. he's, still tw- he, he's only 23. Uh, you know, he ha- he's signed to a long-term deal that I think is a favorable contract and he's currently having his best season. He started off extremely hot and has cooled off, but, but still currently having his best season as a pro. So I think those three guys are their kind of trade assets. Uh, you know, they have the Evan Fournier. We, we call it in New York the Evan Fournier contract. Unfortunately, no, we don't call him Evan Fournier. We call him the Evan Fournier contract, um, <laughs> which is which is unfortunate. Evan Fournier is a great pro, and, and, and I think everybody likes him, but he's just never going to play in New York. He, he really is there to be packaged with one of those players and some of their draft capital to, to, to go out and get someone else. Um, so those are kind of where their assets are, which I think are all, you know, a variety of really good assets. And I think that the thing about the Knicks is that they don't want to unload all of these assets for the wrong piece. So yes. I could imagine them trying to kind of bundle, let's say, Emmanuel quickly and some assets to get one player and then Quentin Grimes and some assets to get another player, something like that. But if they if they have any sense that a superstar a true superstar is becoming available you know let's say things don't go well in phoenix and devin booker becomes available they will go all in for for a guy like that i believe so it really depends on what becomes available and what the market looks like i'm not sure if this deadline is going to be a seller's or buyer's market it seems like it might be a seller's market um one thing i'll say is that i'm a huge fan of of lowry marketing uh, I think he would be an incredible fit, but the problem is that he would be an incredible fit on every fringe contender. <laughs> <laughs> so, and Danny Ainge is going to get a haul for him. So I just don't think that's realistic. I don't think the Knicks will go all in for marketing. So yeah, I think, I think it's just a matter of kind of mixing and matching those assets and either getting two really good players 
or going all in for that one superstar that becomes available. Yeah, it's it's really fascinating. And it's something that would have me really worried as a Knicks fan is that you don't want to give away too much at that trade deadline. Um, wanted to get your perspective. We have asked some people about this, and I think it's really interesting about the Knicks because of you know, to, to be blunt, I mean, the tortured status of, of the fan base, aside from a few years in the 21st century, you know, there've been a lot of rough patches too. And, you know, Justin and I feel for you guys at times. Um, now look, I'm a Rockets fan and we just went through a really rough <laughs> patch as well, but uh, thankfully seems like it was short lived. Anyway, wanted your perspective on, it seems like it's been a massive culture shift for the Knicks. And it seems like Tom Thibodeau certainly has been the right guy, the right fit with, you know, his emphasis on working hard, playing hard, has lined up really well with this Knicks squad. What have you seen that has rebuilt this franchise, culturally speaking? Yeah, I think it has to start with Leon Rose, who has really just done a tremendous job throughout the roster getting the right kinds of guys, um, getting guys who work really hard, who are all really high basketball IQ players. And I just feel like the guys that they have have fit together pretty well. And and Tibbs, it's just like you said, the cultural aspect, the work really hard, the fact that for the Knicks, every game is like a playoff game for them. And they prepare and they come to play that way. And I think that dynamic works really well in New York City because I think that the fans can notice that and the fans appreciate that. I definitely, when I watch the games, I'm like, we can notice every every little iota of a, a player not hustling. You know, the Knicks, the Knicks fans are on top of it. They're like, why didn't he go for that loose ball? Why didn't he make that rotation? We see everything. And so the fact that Tibbs has these guys ready to play like a playoff game every night, I think it really gets them to their ceiling for the regular season. And I think that that's why they're really locked to me. They're locked into like a one through six seed, really a four through six seed. But I think that that's because they play at this high level and such an intense level during the regular season. The problem, on the other hand, is that when you get to the playoffs, they don't really have a, another ceiling to reach. Like they don't have another gear to go to. They're already maximizing what they have to offer. So that that leads for me at least their 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 playoff ceilings a little bit lower than their regular season would be um but i think it really works as a cultural fit and i think the dynamic that tibbs and leon rose and the kinds of players that they've gone after you know the villanova boys uh brunson and josh hart and dante divincenzo all these guys fit in really well culturally they have the right attitude they play really hard they they play every game like it's a playoff game and and I think it works really well for the for the city really. So is the fan base optimistic about this approach and it ultimately turning in um to either a championship or just higher success compared to years past? Is it just does it feel different to the fans? Are they more optimistic about this approach or is there still some skepticism? Well, we are New Yorkers, so <laughs> I, um, there's always going to be a little bit of skepticism there. But I will say, I think I think most fans are pretty optimistic about their approach. I think the great thing is that Leon Rose has kind of avoided all he's done mo- for the most part is avoided making any bad moves. You know, all he's done is built on what we have in New York and not made any mistakes. I think they are getting to the point where 
there's going to have to be some chances taken. And that's what I think there's some apprehension from the fan base about. It's like, we haven't made mistakes so far, but now you're going to have to pull the trigger on something. We have Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle, both with one year left on their contracts, and then both have player options for the following year. Both are going to opt out of those player options, and they're going to have to be re-signed if they're still here. And so it, it there's a little bit of a clock coming. There's a little bit of a deadline, which is those guys getting re-signed. Currently, they're both on amazing value deals, and that's how they've been able to kind of build around them with really good players, adding a Dante DiVincenzo, um, trading for and signing a Josh Hart. Uh, they, they didn't get to make a, a contract extension with Emmanuel quickly, but you know, I think that that's something that's still on the table. Uh, he's going to be a restricted free agent, and they can match any deal that is offered to him. So they've been able to kind of do all this building because they have a couple of their top guys on really good contracts, but that's going to come to an end soon. So that, to me, is almost like a hard deadline, and I think that that's what, if there's any kind of hesitancy or, or uncertainty from the Knicks fan base, it's really seeing that deadline as, like, something needs to happen and it needs to be the right move. So that's why I think this trade deadline is super important for them. And it really matters what moves they make or what moves they don't make. Yeah. I, I think one of the most interesting things of last season is the dynamic between just those two players that you mentioned, you know, that are so critical for their upcoming decisions, Julius Randall and Jalen Brunson. And it seemed like, there, there was reasonable concern, you know, about the team dynamic changing and how is Julius Randle going to handle that? And it seemed to go very smoothly last season. I mean, all things considered, in some ways, it's kind of like a turning over the car keys from Julius Randle to Jalen Brunson in, in the way that that offense operates. Not that Randle's not getting to get his shots in and things like that, but very different from what it what it was. How has how have those two been able to work together and what have you seen from Julius Randall in terms of that? I mean, I think he gets a lot of criticism. Some of it may be warranted, but do you think he gets his due in terms of how last season went down? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And well, I would start by answering the question by saying Jalen Brunson is, he just exudes leadership like mm. everybody who watches Jalen Brunson on a night in night out basis, you can just tell he's a leader. He's almost like, and I don't think this is even extreme to say he comes off like a Derek Jeter kind of persona kind of figure in New York. Like he just exudes, like he's the leader, he's the captain and everyone knows it. And Julius Randall, who is such a, he has a big personality, very strong, strong willed guy. Um, I think he respects Brunson on a level that is even beyond basketball. And he that's the one guy that it seems like he'll defer to, to a, in a lot of cases. At the same time, I mean, Julius Randle is going to get his. <laughs> Julius Randle is, is, definitely has like an alpha mentality. But he's also a multi-skilled person. And I don't think he gets really the credit for it. I think he's seen as kind of this guy is going to take a lot of shots and, and he's going to jack up some threes. He's going to jack up some mid-range shots. But really, Julius Randle is extremely skilled, can get to his spots, and is a really good passer. And we're actually seeing that a lot more this year. Julius Randle has been one of their best assist men. And not only assists, he is making the right play. And we're seeing that over the last 10 games, like I mentioned, averaging five assists per 36. But it's not just the assist. He's able to read the floor a lot better than he has done in the past. And 
when he shares the court with Brunson, they have a really good dynamic. But what's even better is that what they're starting to do with their rotations is that Julius Randle is starting to play with the second unit, which I've had concerns about because, you know, I think that Julius Randle sees it as, and I'm doing a little armchair psychology, but it almost feels like Julius Randle sees it as, okay, it's Julius and, uh, you know, and, and, and the Jackson five almost a little bit where he, he's, he's the guy, he's with the second unit. He's going to kind of get his when he's not with Brunson, there's no one to defer to, but it's worked out so far. It's worked out so far. And I think Randall doesn't necessarily get enough credit for how he's managed to, to make it work with Brunson and, and really respected Brunson's leadership. And I think they, 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 they do a good job of kind of taking turns without isolating too much one another. Sometimes they run pick and rolls together. Um, Brunson's really improved his off ball skills and is a great catch and shoot three point shooter at this point. So they have some synergy together and they work really well independently when one another is off the court. So how do you see the Eastern Conference shaking out right now? Basically, I'm looking at the standings like nine through, I would say, the fourth seed. It's like a bit of I can see those teams basically switching at any time. Um, the Magic have been like a huge surprise. I think the Cavaliers have been a bit of a disappointment. Like you mentioned, the Celtics and Bucks seem to be like kind of the toast of the conference so far. Um, is your expectations um, being lived up to in terms of how you thought the season was going to play out? Um, and do you have any predictions up until like all-star break until like where the Knicks are going to fit? Do you see them leapfrogging the magic or do you think the magic are, are real are for real with Paula and Carroll? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So I, I, for the most part, I think things are playing out more or less how I anticipated. I think the Knicks are in really good shape. I kind of alluded to this earlier. I think their range of outcomes is probably fourth in the East through six in the East. I don't think they're going to do worse than six. And I don't think they're probably getting to that third seed to kind of pass Philly. I think the cream of the East is really just Boston, Milwaukee, and Philly at this point, which Philly's a little bit of a surprise to me how Joel Embiid is playing. I mean, he, he was the MVP, and I think this is the best basketball he's played of his career. So it's kind of incredible. Um, as far as the Knicks, yeah, I just think that they should be securely out of the play-in range. They're currently on pace for 47 wins. That's a little below their kind of expected win total based on their net rating. Their net rating is currently plus 3.4, which is 10th in the NBA. So I, I do think I do look at the Knicks as a top 10 top 10 team in the entire league. Um, they currently have a top eight offense. And earlier they had a top 10 defense, but they faced kind of recently a rough stretch playing three of the best offenses in the NBA. And then having their defensive anchor Mitchell Robinson go down with an injury. So as far as my prediction, I think they'll probably be fighting with the Magic. I think the Magic are somewhat legit. I think their defense is absolutely legit. Um, it just, I guess it just bears to see whether their offense can, can really hang in there and, 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 and keep up with their defense. I don't think they'll probably stay where they are in, in the kind of fourth spot. So I think the Knicks could get up to that fourth spot, could it get up to that fifth spot. The Cavs, I imagine, may fall down given depending on injury situation and health situations for them. And honestly, I think the Nets could make a push for, you know, a top five seed. I think the Nets are really interesting with their three-point shooters. Um, they're taking a ton of threes and making them at almost a 40% clip for, for, for the team average. And I think some of that is sustainable. So I think the Nets are a little bit of a threat to, to move into that top four to through six spot. Um, the Heat and the Hawks, 
I, for me, for those teams, it depends on what kind of deadline moves they make, honestly. Like, I, I, I don't really believe much in the Heat right now. And the Hawks' recent slide, I think, is more emblematic of what that team is. I think they were playing a little above their level. So, to me, I think it's Knicks solidly where they are right now. Fifth in the Eastern Conference is what I would expect. But I think they could get all the way up to fourth. Um, so, that's how I'm viewing the rest of the season. Xavier, be curious to get your thoughts as well. Um, I saw a recent post you had regarding the Clippers. They, of course, have had their eight-game win streak, and James Harden seems to be kind of in sync, shades of of his former self again. He's kind of got in his footing set again in L.A. now. Do you see the Clippers as, I guess, better question, kind of what tier of team do you see the Clippers as? I mean, are they are they contenders? Are they bound for a big playoff run? Still too soon to tell. What's kind of your thoughts on the Clippers right now? I think the Clippers are the Clippers, I would move them into my kind of top six teams on both conferences that I'd be, you know, considering actually true contenders. Um, just what I've seen from their offense is incredible. So over the last mm. two weeks, they are first in the NBA in offense, scoring 133 points per 100 possessions. Completely incredible, absurd wow. pace, you know, outstripping the Bucks, outstripping the, the, the Celtics. And not only that, their defense has been solid as well. Like, it is really incredible. And Harden, maybe Harden just played himself in the shape, as he seems to do every season. But but Harden is, is definitely looks like he's not the kind of washed-up guy that a lot of people thought he was. I just think if Kawhi's going to be healthy and play like this, if Paul George is going to be healthy and play like this, if Harden is going to be healthy and play like this, even Zubac has been playing incredibly well and I think is an underrated center. I just think if these guys are healthy, they're going to be a threat. To me, it all comes down to health, and I'm not going to really project forward and expect these, you know, Paul George or Kawhi or, or even Harden to, to be healthy all season. I'm not going to project them to have injuries. So if you're asking me based, let's just take for granted health, I think that they're one of the top six teams across both conferences. Wow. And do you see their their defensive trend right now? I mean, is that a legitimate defensive unit that can transfer into, you know, like playoff success just based on the small sample size that we have of that group right now? Yeah, I, I'm not I'm not the biggest believer in the defense. I think that's a little bit of a blip is mm. how the defense has been playing. So I that that to me is definitely going to be their weakness. I just do believe in the offense. I, ju I just do. I think that they, they have too many incredible offensive threats and, and weapons. The defense, uh, you know, I one thing is that I would say is that I do think Kawhi is playing at a higher defensive level than he has in, in recent seasons. I think he's been kind of living on his reputation uh, for, for the last little while. And, and I think he's playing much better than he has. He seems to be really locked in incredible that he has not missed a game this season. Like I, yeah, I, I, that's I, amazing. That is, it's amazing to me. <laughs> and, um, and his defensive impact has been completely real. But speaking of Zubac, he has been their anchor defensively. And I think that that what he does is legit as far as on the offensive boards. So, as a Knicks fan, you know, our calling card and identity has been based around getting extra chances through offensive rebounding for the last two years. And so we as Knicks fans know how valuable extra possessions are. 
and Zubac has a really high offensive rebounding percentage, so I think that he's done well there, and then has a high defensive rebounding percentage, and can also score from the mid-range if you give him opportunities, and I think he's a little more athletic than it seems, than, than he's given credit for, so I think they have some defensive weapons with Zubac, uh, Kawhi, and Paul George, but the rest of the team, I'm not the highest on Terrence Mann. Uh, you know, I, I obviously don't trust James Harden's defense. So I think it's a little it's a little iffy with them on the defensive end. On the offensive end, I'm I'm totally bought in. I think that 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 tandem um, or trio really works extremely well. And with Zubac in the middle, um, Westbrook coming off the bench and, 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 you know, doing some damage off the bench. I, I think that I think the offense is real. I'd love to know your thoughts as well. We we talked about the Magic being the surprise team of the East. And then, of course, in the West, it's Minnesota at that top spot that has really surprised everyone, uh, including us on this show. Um, <clears throat> same kind of question about the Clippers and, and the Magic, but with regards to the Timberwolves, do you see them as as kind of this is a trend? I mean, I'm not saying you, you have to say they're staying number one in the West, <laughs> but uh, do you see them as, you know, kind of – uh, a legit threat in, in the Western Conference. Yeah, I I like talking about the Timberwolves, but I th- their defense is just incredible. When you just you watch how they all move, all the wing defenders that they have, and then being anchored by Rudy Gobert, it, it is just an amazing kind of defensive synergistic team that they have right now. I think the defense is absolutely legit. Um, I, Mike Connolly has been amazing on both ends I and hasn't missed a game at age 36. I mean, obviously, we talk about LeBron at, thir- at you know, going on 39 and what he's doing being completely unfathomable. But also Mike Conley at 36 years old has been tremendous and is actually shooting 45 percent from three. It's, it's <laughs> completely absurd what he's been doing and also being a really good point of attack defender as well. So. I think their defense is real. I think their defense can maintain what they've been doing. On the other hand, I don't trust some of their shooting numbers. I think that they're kind of shooting above their heads. I don't really trust, you know, even to kill Alexander Walker shooting 36% from three. And um, I I don't even necessarily trust Anthony Edwards shooting from three. I don't think all of that will, will hold up. So to me, I think their shooting is buoying the, them a little bit and making them seem a little better than they than they are. I definitely am a regression to the mean kind of guy. So I think if guys are shooting way above what their career averages are, what we've seen from them over the last three years, I don't really believe it's going to hold up until I see a really large sample of it. So until I see that from Minnesota, I'm going to kind of be out on them as a real, real contender in the West. I, I, I would be a little more, um, a little more behind the Clippers than I would be with Minnesota. But at the same time, I do think their defense is legit and they're relatively young at, at, at the spots that matter. So I think they could be a force next year for sure. But yeah, their shooting, I think, is just a little bit un, unsustainable to me to kind of buy them as real contenders. All great points. One, one last question on Minnesota for me. Do you think they just needed a year with Gobert to kind of figure out how to fit him into what they're doing? Or is there something else you've seen that's been the big sort of gear shift from last year's team? Yeah, it's a great question. I don't really have a great explanation for, for really Gobert's performance last year. I think he was, he didn't perform up to his standard and 
Um, you know, the indicators that I like to look at, uh, one of my favorite impact metrics is, is estimated plus minus EPM, um, uh, uh, an advanced analytic metric from dunks and threes. And, and it showed that Gobert, which what, what the metric tries to do is isolate the impact of any individual player, like relative to his teammates, how good his teammates are and how good the opponents are. And it, Gobert just had an outlier year with regard to his defensive impact last year. Like Mm. it doesn't look like it belongs in the trajectory of his career. And I'm not really sure why that happened. I don't know if there was just like the adjustment phase, you know, the the shock from, you know, spending your entire career with one team in a system and a a place and a dynamic that you're used to, and then trying to kind of fit in and, 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 and learn what you need to do in this new place. But for whatever the reason is, which I don't have a great explanation for it, he's back to being Rudy Gobert. And it mm. seems like last year was more of a blip as opposed to a trend in his career. And I think that that's really the reason why Minnesota has been so good. And and to throw him in there and, and you're getting like a Rudy Gobert season defensively along with all those wing defenders, it makes it a, just a scary defense in my opinion. So, yeah. Xavier, this has been a fantastic chat. Please let our audience know where they can find you on social media, the podcast you're on, anything else you're working on as well. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so appreciative for you guys having me on. Uh, Super fun discussion. And I'm glad that we got to talk about uh, some other teams other than the Knicks. I love talking about all NBA teams. So that was super fun. Um, Yeah, so as you all mentioned at the the top, I co-founded a podcast called Hot Hand Theory um, with my buddy, a great basketball analyst named Jeff. Um, hot hand theory is all about breaking the game down from an analytical perspective. And, um, yeah, we really just want to make data and advanced metrics more accessible to people. So you can catch us anywhere, on all social media at hot hand theory, um, on YouTube, on Spotify. It's always the same name. Um, and then real quick, I'm also a contributor to the Knicks film school podcast. Uh, in my opinion, it's one of the best podcasts that talks about the um, the NBA. Um, obviously, I'm biased, but I think it's great. We do tons of content there. Um, you know, we have film experts, data analysts, capologists, you know, amazing producers and personalities. And we just break the Knicks down from every angle you could imagine. So th- those are the two places that, that you could look me up. Knicks Film School and Hot Hand Theory. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. Appreciate you guys. Thank you for listening to Hoopsology presented by Boss Life. If you have comments or questions about this episode, please email hoopsologypod at gmail.com. Also, leave us a review on iTunes and follow us on all social media platforms.